We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Episode 9 of our Ted Lasso rewatch, the penultimate episode. And of course, I am joined by my co-host, the managing editor of For the Win, Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight? That was lovely. After your first day of work. (laughs) This is such a caring podcast. Like, we're just so supportive of each other's endeavors. I mean, the show we're covering, we might as well be. I know. We might as well be pleasant to each other. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, doing doing very, very well, ready to talk uh, episode nine of Ted Lasso. Um, lots, lots to cover in this one. Uh, Alex, before we get into it, tell the folks about your other podcast. Sure. I'm also on a podcast called Ain't Slayed Nobody. It's a tabletop RPG podcast. Um, if you don't know what that is, then you should check it out. And if you do know what that is, you'd probably really like it. And it's just a bunch of um, sports fans playing a game and having fun. <laughs> you can find us at Ain't Slayed. Perfect. <laughs> and if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm that's presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. Tomorrow, I have an interview with former South Carolina All-American Michael Roth, a winner of two College World Series. That is also, unless he blows me off, then disregard that. We'll have someone else on but because uh, I haven't recorded <laughs> the interview yet. But if we have recorded, it should be really good. So listen to that tomorrow. Uh, but Alex, let's get into Ted Lasso, episode nine, second to last episode of this amazing first season, all apologies. After a series of mistakes on the pitch, pressure mounts to bench Roy. Rebecca finally reveals the truth to Ted. People put a lot of cards on the table in this one, Alex. Yeah. So this is kind of where everything sort of has to come out, you know, or I guess that you couldn't have packed all this into the last episode, um, you know, given what happened, but it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, You know, a lot of things really come to a head. I mean, the big thing, Rebecca revealing the truth to Ted. I mean, we have we have basically two linear storylines in this one. We've got Rebecca kind of coming clean about everything that that has gone on this year and making amends. And then, um, you know, the the end of Roy. I want to kick opening questions to you. Uh, as usual, I have two, but did, do you have a, an opening question for this one? I do. You're going to be so mad because it's, I promise it's not as serious as yours. <laughs> Mine are not that serious. But given this episode, the, I think the ultimate burning question of this episode, what does a British owl say? <laughs> do you know? I do not know. What is the, the punchline to Ted's joke? The punchline is whom? <laughs> least that's what i think it's gotta be it has that has to be the answer because you know he asked them both and then it just never comes out and it drove me nuts the first time i watched it because i was like what there was no payoff you'd think it would like come back in a clever way i'm pretty sure it's whom do you think beard would have known that already though yes absolutely i I don't (laughs) see bird i don't see uh i don't see ted getting that one past beard i feel like beard would have known i feel like nate would have asked yeah nate probably wouldn't have known 
if he wasn't uh, if he wasn't halfway down the field and feeling terrible about it. Yeah, that's true. But Beard was like looking for any excuse, you know, to to show how mad he was at Ted. Such a great Beard episode. So <laughs> my first question is one I, I prepped you for this. You did. Is there a worse TV villain out there than Rupert? Is he the worst TV villain of all time? Very broad generalization. Is is Rupert the worst TV villain because he is a fucking monster? So. I was I thought about this and I did a little research in terms of like I wanted to know what the internet said about worst TV villains and I looked at a lot of listicles and stuff like that and I realized that a lot of what like the shows that people consider um to have the worst villains I never watched them like Lost I mean it's a lot of hit shows um I that- saw some of those lists too because I like I watched Lost and they they put the villain of Lost up there at the tie and I just don't agree with that at all yeah, and like there were just there were a lot of shows that were absolutely fantastic, but I never got around to seeing them, so it was hard for me to say. Um, and you know what's interesting is Tony Head, who plays Rupert, he played Rupert in Buffy Vampire Slayer, and I never watched that either. But I assume he was a villain in that one too, right? Did you I watch did it? not. I did not. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a little bit before my time. I did not watch. Did not watch Buffy, but a lot of these shows that you're talking about, I did watch, like Game of Thrones, which we've already discussed. You did not watch. Have you? Did you watch the first season of True Detective? No, I watched the first episode. <laughs> I had a lot going on back then. <laughs> I mean, it was busy, busy times. Uh, I think <laughs> that that year, if I if I'm not if I might be mistaken, but that year was the year that you and I both had children. I was going to say, I think that was yeah. the year Jack was born. So yes. I get a pass on everything yes. that year. Yeah. So the, the the villain in that one is a is a terrible serial killer. And I my distaste for Rupert is on par. It's like Rupert and the Yellow King from True Detective. Same, same kind of guys for me. They're both horrible, horrible people. I would say um, as far as being on par with a villain that, you know, I for something I've seen, I know this isn't a show, but all I can think of is the great Muppet Caper and <laughs> Charles Grodin and how he frames Miss Piggy into um looking like she stole the the baseball diamond. Anyway, that's that's all I had to add to this <laughs> discussion. For Rupert, I kind of because now if I see this guy in anything else, it, it's going to take. If, and if he's playing someone who's not a piece of shit, it's going to take me a lot to overcome that distaste. And I look at in the first season of Westworld, Tessa Thompson plays a character named Charlotte Hale. Tessa Thompson is a wonderful actress. She's great in Creed. She's great in like Ragnarok. She's she's yeah. great. But she is so good at playing Charlotte Charlotte Hale, who is so bad that every time I see Tessa Thompson and other things, it, I have to get over how much I hate that other character. And that's what Rupert is to me. If I see him in anything else, I'm, it's going to take a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if I'm that way about anybody. I, you know, Walton Goggins plays the bad guy really well, but I love him so much that even when he's evil, I just adore him. Just want Yeah, he's, he's baby Billy. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> fantastic. I just don't know if there's anything that I could compare it to in terms of a show because I just think Rupert is just so cold-blooded and they just keep going back and forth with each other, he and Rebecca do, and especially like the, you know, the quintessential scene in this one between the two of them that kind of changes her perspective suddenly um he absolutely destroys her and it's like they've been going back and forth all season and he knew he had the one thing and he made sure that he was there in person to see her reaction to him having a child knowing that he didn't have a child with her just awful that's one of the most despicable things i've ever seen in my life and the the you know the comedy makes about well i guess I I wanted to have a baby with the right person or something like that. Or he, he clearly says, like, I didn't want to have a baby with you. Um, just the absolute worst thing you could say. He's such a piece of shit. The fucking worst. I have one more question before we get into best scenes. Okay. This one, this one might make you kind of sad. Oh. Which, as a sports fan, which athlete getting old has made you the saddest? Because there's nothing I... I did a freelance piece a few years back that it was just like the how painful it is to watch your your childhood sports heroes retire. Yeah. Um, And some of them do not retire gracefully. You're going to get mad at me for saying this, but as a Giants fan, I got to say Eli. I I mean, 
I obviously I've, I've rooted against Eli for a very long time. <laughs> it was very sad to see the way it happened with the weird one game benching at yes. the timing that that stunk for him. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, he's such a great dad and like he's a fun loving guy. And it's great that he's living his best retired life. Well, he's coming out of retirement to work for the Giants. But um, as far as playing goes, but it's what he just captures this part of my youth for me. So he was a senior when I was a senior in college when I was a senior in high school and I was getting ready to go to Oxford and he was young and he was still, you know, in his early twenties. And he was, once I got to college, he was with the giants and like, it just represents a part of my life that I don't want to believe was 20 years ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I think even though it's, it's not like he's getting old where he can't walk or anything. I think it's hard to watch them get older because we um, pour so much of ourselves and our identities and how we remember our lives into our sports teams. And so I think that's what it is for me. Yeah, I mean, the good thing for Eli is he's now doing commercials for barbecueoutfitters.com and as someone who loves <laughs> smoking meats, that, that's big for me. I'm, I'm right there on the Eli. On, Eli is redeeming himself for me as he, he was playing for one of my least favorite football teams, but now he's doing commercials for one of my favorite industries, so it kind of balances itself out. Yeah. Um, for me, it's Joe Maurer, uh, and, and you know he he got old, but it was also he had some some debilitating injuries. That's that's never easy to see, but he was my childhood favorite player, and it's it's not fun. Uh, it's you know I, I every now and then when I feel like I need to get emotional, I watch his last game where he comes out to to catch and gets a standing ovation. It's wonderful, but. Yeah. Um, Let's roll into into best scene. Uh, let's and let's start off with another athlete who's getting old. Uh, the scene I'm calling Brunette Oscar the Grouch, where, <laughs> Roy, where Roy is dunking himself in an ice bath in a trash can, and it's setting up what I think is setting up a potential Roy retirement for season two. You order a Roy on the rocks, huh? How are we doing here? Woo! That is cold, man. Looking at you in there, making me all chilly inside. <laughs> you just tell me I fucked up and then go. Not gonna do that, bud. I lost just the game. I'm a piece of shit. Easy now. You had a bad day. Big whoop. Big whoop? Yeah, big whoop. <laughs> you beating yourself up is like Woody Allen playing the clarinet. I don't want to hear it. All right? So just, you know, knock it off. Go easy on yourself. Okay? Hey, I got your back. Ain't nothing gonna change that. Look at you in there, looking like a brunette Oscar the Grouch. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, it's weird because the way we talk about aging and the way we talk about getting old, obviously, it's a totally different thing in sports. Um, Roy is in his mid to late 30s, both the actor and (laughs) the character, but his body's worn out. He's been playing since he was a kid, and he's been the best at what he's done since he was a kid. And now he can't count on his body to hold up to his passion for the game. And it's, you know, it's funny and they take their shots or they take them and the jokes and everything. But you got to think he's been taunted by Jamie this entire season. He's been called grandpa and everything else. So he's really had to come to terms with, you know, I've got a lot of life left. Even if I don't have the ability to keep playing this game, what am I going to do when this isn't my life anymore? So you see this, he really gets to a crossroads here where he is, he's got to learn how to look at himself through a different lens if he's going to be able to to go on and I think you know obviously in season two the rumors is he's going to be like an assistant coach or something and I definitely think there's going to be some role that he has within Richmond um you know given everything that happens yeah because he mentions at the end of this episode that he he has a distaste for going to play in America so you can't imagine (laughs) that he's He's going to do that, but it's it's one of the most authentic plot lines that this story that the show has taken in in this season. It, most realistic sports wise things is it is very difficult for athletes of any caliber, any age, to come to grips with the fact that they are no longer that kind of player. They can no longer play the sport. It's one of, I think, it's one of the best scenes in Moneyball is uh, when they're signing. They're they're signing 18 year old Billy Bean who doesn't look 18 years old, and they're telling him, you know, we're all told at some point that it, you know, we can't play the game anymore or something like that. It's a really good monologue, and that's that's what Roy's dealing with right now, and he's he's coming to grips with it. He's been slowly, you know, Jamie's been needling him for being old all season, like you said, and this episode is the the you know the culmination of that. 
of him having to come to grips with that. And it's really tough. It's a great Brett Goldstein performance. But speaking of great performances, the the scene that we were talking about earlier, uh, Rupert, I just call this one, Rupert is the devil and Rebecca comes clean. It's basically the back-to-back scene of Rupert shows up at the office, tells Rebecca that he and Bex are having a baby. And this this scene and the next one where she comes clean to Ted should have gotten Hannah Waddingham an Emmy nomination and possibly a win. Like she yeah. is amazing. To me, it's the best scene that she does in the entire series. And it goes back, and I know I've said this a lot, those moments where she's got to hold it together and we see the, you know, tears welling up in her eyes. And I mind you, you know, back up a little bit because we also have, at the end of the last episode, we had this revelation where Keely knows And she says, if you don't tell Ted, I'm going to. So Rebecca's got this pressure that she's going to have to own up to what she's done. And she brings Ted in her office and she can't say it. She just, she's kind of babbling all over the place. And then she's like, you know what, let's just do this later. Then Rupert immediately comes in and knocks her down uh, with the news that he's going to be a father at age 70 with his new um, fiance, I suppose. And just the way that the tears well up in her eyes, but she none of them fall like she doesn't cry in front of him she's just so still and trying to do what she's been doing all season long which is pretend that she isn't affected by him which is obviously as we know not true um and it's it's the final straw and suddenly it's kind of like no matter what happens it's like she realizes no matter what happens to that club even if she had succeeded in totally burning it to the ground it's not going to change that he's gone and it's not going to change the kind of person he is and she can't hurt him on the level that she thought she could, but he can still destroy her. And I think it's a really, you know, reckoning moment for her. And an incredible step for her in taking that. And instead of, because on a, on a first time watch, you could see this is potentially a moment where she does not tell Ted and she, you know, fully commits to tanking the season. And instead she goes right into Ted's office and tells him, and it's, as good a, it's a great Waddingham moment, but it's an incredible Sudeikis moment. It's Ted just always knows, you know, says the right things. Divorce is hard, and then you know they have that hug, uh, and he says, "I think that if you care about someone and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together." And I wish I would have watched this episode a few weeks ago before I had to to rewrite my vows because I would have put that <laughs> line in <laughs> because it's so so good. If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You what? Why? Divorce is hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer for heaven's sake. <laughs> In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah. But this job you gave me has changed my life. Gave me the distance I needed to see what was really going on. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. It is good. I mean, probably better that you stuck to original content. <laughs> but I mean, you know, everyone loves a good Ted Lasso line <laughs> thrown in their wedding vows. Um, he's the best. I mean, he, he's 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 perfect. It's a really good scene from them. Yeah, and I think it, I think we've mentioned this a few times, or maybe we just said it, you know, among ourselves that. For as nice as Ted is, and he is genuinely kind, he's not a pushover. He didn't tell her, it's okay, don't worry about it. He said, I forgive you for what you did. And then he says, divorce is hard. It doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or you're the one getting left. And you can tell she's stunned by it because in her mind, you know, there's good and there's bad. And she she said earlier in the episode, come on, tidy up your mess, Rebecca, tidy up your mess. And so to her, she thinks he is going to be understandably upset. And it shocks her, like his kindness just sh- shocks her. But then he reminds her, like, we're going through the same thing right now. I'm not dealing with it in the same way you are, but he, there's a level of understanding there. And I think that was, I think that might be my f- one of my favorite top favorite scenes in the entire series is that moment between them. We've talked about how the show does such an incredible job with human interaction and, and with people. 
I don't want to say not realistic, but kind of an elevated look of how you should express your emotions and how you should talk about people and talk to people and not really reserve in your feelings. And, and this is, it's two people really coming clean. Well, Rebecca coming clean to Ted and, and like you said, Ted using the right wording, not saying it's okay, but saying, I forgive you, which is just as an, I mean, it's a, it's a huge thing for Rebecca to come into his office to do. And it's arguably just as big a thing for Ted to forgive her. Um, and, and see the, you know, see the, the bright side in it and how the, it's changed his life, um, and, and really makes her feel better about herself, which is important because Rebecca's had a lot of low moments in the last nine episodes. And it's a great, um, great, great scene. The next one is, is this one is brief, but it's, it's Roy technically getting benched. Ted actually doesn't, as he notes to beard later, doesn't bench him, but Roy, gets what's going on there. It kind of like we talked earlier, there's just nothing more difficult for an athlete than the end. We get a couple of these moments with Roy. It's, it's like, it's like, a, it's like denial acceptance, you know, all these different steps. And this one is, is pure. This is just straight up anger. Yeah. I mean, Roy's very good at anger. <laughs> so we've learned he, he owns it, but yeah, I, I think the, this whole realization and then, you know, him going to Keeley's house and his niece Phoebe is there and he's, he's mad and he's trying to talk to Keeley about it. And she's doing her just wonderful job of like kind of making fun of him (laughs) for feeling sorry for himself. And then you have this great moment where she says, Phoebe, come here. I want you to tell me everything, you know, describe your uncle, close your eyes and tell me everything about him. And she lists off this very sweet list of, of all these things. Like he buys me ice cream and he curses a lot. And when she's done, you know, she didn't say one word about him being a footballer. And that was kind of the point. And I mean, Keely's just go. I just love Keely. How can you not? She's just so great in every scene. Um, But again, like what I said earlier, he's got to learn how to see himself as a person and, and not a, footballer anymore and that's difficult that's not an easy thing to do but while he might be you know old for the game he's got a lot of years left in him and I think you know watching him go through that and suddenly have to shift his own perspective of his self-worth and his identity it's fascinating Keely through Phoebe gives Roy a new perspective in about 15 seconds yeah um, because he, he says it, this, this is, I love this line. Roy Kent has been the best player on every team he's ever been on since he was 10. That's a huge psychological hurdle that he's having to overcome. One, not only not being the best anymore, not being able to dominate, cause that's been a part of his life for, you know, 25 years or so, but it's, it's also like he's losing his identity as a, as a, there's a difference between being a mainstay on a team and being a non-contributing member on a team like going from he's not even a starter anymore yeah at the end at the end of this episode so it's a huge you know it's just this whole episode of watching Roy grapple with his identity and kind of come to that you know through hearing what Phoebe says and then obviously what we get at the end is is really just a beautiful authentic storyline I wow I can't believe this show handled this storyline so perfectly like what a what a surprise I'm just uh, floored (laughs) well yeah what's funny is um Jane coach Beard's girlfriend is played by Phoebe Walsh who's actually the person who wrote this episode and she's I believe the main story editor on the show um so fun fact (laughs) <laughs> by the I way mean, they have quite a moment yeah oh yeah they have a great moment in this episode um which was that was that before or after see i'm getting it all confused that yeah i can't i can't i think that was i think that was before uh, no 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 it was yeah. after it was after because um that's the next scene i've got is that uh basically the winning matter speech when beard finally kind of freaks out and said you know it's okay to care if you win or lose because ted and I will say it's it, it's like Beard pointing out something. He he says that you know it was different you know when it was college kids and it it really had to be about making them feel good and and you know connecting with them and making sure that they're you know emotionally healthy and doing that side of things. But Beard points out that this is professional and this means a lot to a lot of people and that winning is important. And he's got May there to back him up and Ted has to play to win. You know, it's part of his mission with his team was to get them all to buy in and get them to believe. But, you know, what he owes to this town is is to win. And that that's just as emotional a part of emotional health as, you know, is his team and 
how how they interact. So it's I really love Beard kind of finally snapping and just being like we've got to fucking win. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think, you know, when you think about college sports, and I, <laughs> I come from a school that can attest to this, um, you can have one of the worst teams in the SEC. And it's your, your team is still going to go on, there's still going to be a football team in some form, you know, we're lucky to not have to deal with like, you know, being relegated to the Sun Belt or something. Um, but and it is more about the kids, right, which we could get into a whole thing about that. But Ideally, at its at its best, um, it would be about shaping and molding these young men into something. But when you get into pro sports, I mean, this is a business. It's an organization. And a lot of people, not just the town itself, but a lot of people in the organization, the people who work uh, for the club, like it, they're counting on their jobs and, and it all matters. Their success matters. It affects everybody. And what I love is that Coach Beard tells him, you know, if you're just going to if you're just going to play Roy to prove a point, I don't want to drink with somebody that's selfish. And then you have this moment of, you know, we're, we're careful to say, of course, Ted's not perfect. We've seen that played out, but he goes as far as to say like, look, I know you are the way you are and that's great. And it it works 99% of the time. But in this situation, what you're doing is actually detrimental to the mission. And he just, he's, he provides some good perspective for Ted to realize like, you know, if you believe in what you're saying, you've also got to believe in the fact that a lot of people are counting on you to make the best call for the entire organization and not just the best call for you or the best call for Roy. Yeah, I mean, part of being a coach or a manager is sometimes you have to make a tough, a real tough decision. We've seen Ted do it once with Jamie, but that was and and that was as much about you know um, winning as anything because he was seeing kind of the long game with that. But with this, it's the first time that Ted's being a little short-sighted and Beard has to kind of beat that out of him a little bit. And then coach Beard noted sex haver picking up his old flame, (laughs) like dream performance, basically letting the guy that she's playing know that, that she's been toying with him. Just, I mean, a stunning, stunning pickup by coach Beard. It was incredible. Coach Beard is just, I really hope, we get some more. Did you say this in the last episode that we get more? You hope we get more backstory on him next season. See, I can't. Keep, I can't keep up with our conversations anymore. <laughs> I can't. I can't keep up with them either. But I, that sounds like something I'd say because I would love to see. I would love to see a Wichita State flashback scene. Yeah. The show hasn't really gone into anything like that. Any flashbacks or really anything you know panning panning away like that or really cutting away from from many of the main characters. But I would love to see kind of a flashback or something like that. Um, the next scene is is drunk Ted uh, when, you know, Roy and Ted have that conversation in in Ted's apartment. And Ted makes, you know, one of the most stunning statements he's made this entire season when he calls Alfonso Ribeiro the greatest physical comedian of the 19th, 20th and 21st century. <laughs> Which it's which so my good. wife did say is like that's like the broad statements I make when I say is there is Rupert the worst television villain of all time? That's yes. what basically Ted did with with Alfonso Ribeiro being a physical comedian. I know. I love this scene where he and Roy are in Ted's apartment. And of course, you know, he's making tea for Roy, which by the way, I'm drinking tea right now out of my Ted Lasso mug. And here's what's Look at you getting in the spirit. Well, here's why. <laughs> So I mentioned earlier, I've had a pretty long day. It's my first day on the job and it was a lot of training and stuff. And I knew we were recording this and I was like, I don't want to drink coffee because that's going to keep me up tonight. Let me just go with something a little more mild. So I'm going to do a cup of tea. Well, I'm on my fourth cup right now. <laughs> so Impressive. That, I mean, like that's actually, caffeine. you're in the, the spirit of, of, of England and the show and stuff. You were actually not in the spirit of Ted. Yes. And so... I actually ended up having more caffeine than I would have had if I just had, you know, a regular old cup of coffee, but that's neither here nor there. Um, no, but I love, you know, Ted's a little tipsy or full on drunk, I suppose. And Roy, he, even though he's coming to terms with everything, he's got, he's a little more lighthearted now after this conversation with Keely, like he's able to make a few jokes here and there. And you mentioned it earlier, but my favorite, favorite line in this scene and maybe the entire episode is when he said, what am I going to do? I'm paraphrasing. Like, what am I going to do after this? Uh, go play in America where I would fucking dominate, by the way. They would all say, oh, is this football then? 
love it so much. It's just very uh, dry and beautiful. Roy's great. We love him. Yeah. It's, um, you know, Roy has, he's come to Ted's apartment because he has come to grips with that. Um, you know, he's saying, Ted gives him the option of showing, you know, saying you're hurt, whatever, but, but Roy deep down and, and we get the, we get the fulfillment when he shows up for practice, but he, you know, Roy is, has, he's a team guy now. Um, being a team guy doesn't always mean you're the best player, but it's, it's important. And Roy knows he's important and Roy showing up at that practice is huge and it's a great moment. And Alex, I don't know how many times I've said this, that, in our, the last nine episodes we recorded something along the lines of, and this might be my favorite moment of the season. <laughs> I know, but we in say the it credits, every time. When Roy taps that believe sign, it is just, it's in the credits. It is the smallest little thing. He walks over and taps that believe sign, and my heart just exploded. It's wonderful. It is, uh, yeah, it's one of those moments where it just, it's so subtle and it kills you <laughs> when you see it. And you have so much hope. And I think like, you know, I keep going back to trying to remember how I felt when I watched it the first time, especially knowing there were only 10 episodes and you don't really know what you're coming into. I mean, this episode really does not set you up for the last one. We know what's going to happen in terms of we know they're going to play their last game against Man City. We know that Jamie plays for Man City, so there's probably going to be something there. Um, but at this point, the team hasn't been steadily improving necessarily, Um and there's really no indication that there's going to be some neatly tied happy ending, you know. And it's I just think it's really funny because you get done with this. If you didn't know how many episodes there were in the season and you get done with nine, you could argue there might be, I don't know, three more. <laughs> it's just yeah. like it's the way they don't really focus on the games themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think that ending was just so simple and pure and it didn't end on you know, some one-liner or something dramatic that makes you say, you know, like a cliffhanger or anything like that. It just ends very neatly and sets the stage for the last episode. Mm -hmm. And sets the stage for a lot of, I, I, I assume, you know, we'll do season two predictions, I guess, next week, but sets in, it sets in place a lot of what Roy's, what Roy's whole situation is going to be like. And season two, really setting him up as as the team guy. And, you know, I don't this show wouldn't have hurt us that bad of having Roy not show up or pretend like he's injured or something like that. But it is now definitely viable to see uh, Roy being a coach or being something where he still wants to stay in Richmond with Keeley and Phoebe and, you know, be connected as opposed to, um, you know, tr try it out. R Roy's come to he's come. He's at peace. And Roy has not been at peace the entire season with anything. Yeah, no, he really hasn't. And you can tell he's still struggling with it, but he's also, this has been a slow evolution for him throughout the season of becoming a leader and understanding, you know, the leader isn't always the, the person who could do the job the best, but it is the person who can inspire everybody around them. And he really grows into that role, which again is crucial for coaching. Um, and so I think it's him kind of, realizing who he is as a person it's really lovely to see his journey into being roy yeah well and ted said it early early in the season he told beard that like roy's the guy we need to flip first and not because he was going to be the best player on the team or lead them to victory it's because you know he the team would go where roy goes yeah and that's very very apparent they all get fucking pumped when he you know when he says the second team is going to kick the first team's asses it's a great great episode did i miss any of your your favorite scenes in this one um no i think we covered all the scenes i mean there was you know the beginning i love when ted's line about little girls being silly and mysterious <laughs> i think that's just such a great way to sum up little girls um and, and I love the way they just talk about women in general throughout the series. And even right after that, when uh, Keely and Rebecca are in the room with all the shoes and Nate walks in and he says something like, I know women like shoes, but come on, this is ridiculous. And he immediately <laughs> says, I'm sorry, that was so sexist. Like, Such a precious Nate moment. Like, see, so good. Seeing men correct themselves or seeing them not have to be corrected on that. It's a refreshing thing because there I have a lot of friends like that and I think a lot of us know a lot of men like that and it's really nice to see it play out on the screen where they instantly know they've said the dumbest thing and they acknowledge it um 
Yeah. And I and I also love when Rebecca's stalling because she doesn't want to tell Ted and she starts talking about the etymology of um, procrastinate. <laughs> Which is very much a Ted thing to do. I know. I mean, she's totally Ted in this. She's using all of his mechanisms to try to stall and to try to keep from saying what she needs to say. And she's acting a little goofy. And we've seen her loosen up consistently throughout the season. And so I think that's so fun, too. But this, you know, this episode didn't have too many things that were, you know, I think a lot of these episodes, you feel like there's so much packed into it. I think last week, so episode eight to me is to where you almost when you think back on it, you're like, that could have been two separate episodes. Um, I think this one was very like tightly done you know the story like flowed really well and everything was just sort of succinct oh I did think of one thing actually when Ted does the Carlton in front of Roy and he says I never know how to react when a grown man does the Carlton in front of me I love that parallel it's a great callback it's a great callback to Keely saying I never know how to react when a grown man beatboxes in front of me <laughs> R.I.P. Bismarcky by the way I thought he didn't die did he not no I mean, oh. unless, yeah, so that was... Was that, was, did I get fooled? I mean, I, I think the world did, but I asked someone the next day, you might have to go back and edit this part out. We need oh, to no, verify. It was, it, was a, it was a hoax. His marquee is yeah. alive. This is great. Everyone celebrate. <laughs> R.I.P. this marquee. Alexa, play just a friend. <laughs> Sorry, that's really good. He's very much alive. Uh, my Alexa just started playing uh, just a friend. It heard me. Of course. Oh, Alexa, off. I might actually leave that in. Um, no, but it's it's a great <laughs> it's a great great callback uh, to to that moment. Um, I think the best scene in this one is yeah, you know, like it's kind of like you said, it's very streamlined. Basically, it's you know we start out with these two narratives of Rebecca needs to come clean and Roy needs to come to grips that he's old, and Rebecca comes clean to Ted and Higgins, and then. Uh, you know, Roy has this journey throughout the episode. And I think the best scene is when he's over at Keeley's house and th- that moment with Phoebe, that little 15, 20 seconds of Phoebe talking about why she loves her uncle Roy and none of that having to do with him being a, a footballer. And then she also tells him <laughs> right away that even if he doesn't play, she will still watch the match. Right. Septon is amazing. Wait till you hear cream. But first, I need you to close your eyes for me, yeah? Can you describe your Uncle Roy? Everything that you can think of. Go. Well, he's my uncle. His beard is scratchy. I love him. Well done, Phoebe. See? I didn't hear anything about being a footballer. Who gives a shit what she has to say? She's six. The point is, you don't know what people think about Roy Kent. Secondly, all that matters, Roy Kent, is what you think about Roy. I know. And I love that scene, too, because even though, you know, it's Keely's first time meeting Phoebe, you can tell she has real maternal instincts and not even just maternal, but like kind of a big sister sort of role. And you can almost envision her and Roy having kids of their own in that moment, you know, sitting together and being sweet with Phoebe. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But I thought, I thought it was just very heartwarming. I would assume that we are going to get more Roy, Keeley, Phoebe in season two. <sighs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We need it. We need it. Let's take a quick ad break and get back with Funniest One-Liner. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right. So funniest one-liner under the radar joke. What is the, you know, I've already mentioned the one in the first scene when he says you're looking like a brunette Oscar the Grouch. And then you talked about Nate saying, you know, having his little sexist joke, but then acknowledging that it was sexist, which is more of just a beautiful moment than a joke. But what what else did you have in this one? I like where when Ted shows up at the pub and he sits down with Coach Beard, who has tons of pints of beer in front of him. It's like eight or nine or something, just tons of glasses. And I forget what prompts it, but Ted says to Beard um, something like, yeah, you're like chief from Cuckoo's Nest. And (laughs) again, this is just like a subtle um, nerdy thing. And Beard says, I always thought I was more of a Tabor. And we're talking about two characters um, with mental illnesses. So chief was actually schizophrenic. Um, and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And then Tabor actually had like antisocial personality disorder. <laughs> so actually Beard's right about his assessment. He does, because you know, he's he's very, um, a man of few words, so to speak. And he doesn't Very straight faced. Yeah. And, but again, it's just one of those lines that like, I'm sure the writer who put it in or the person who came up with it, I'm sure they had just a blast writing it in there, knowing a very particular portion of the audience was going to catch it. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things about it. I think the whole show is this way, but yeah, I just really like that as a nerd. I need someone good at YouTube to run through the entire season and just really pull all the clips of Ted and Beard making great pop culture references. It's been one of the best parts of the show is them. And again, there's got to be a, a ton more of that coming in season two. Yes, I hope so. They have to because I just, I need it. I love when Ted is talking to Roy, when drunk Ted is talking to Roy. I I can't even remember what he says before this, but Ted drops a rest in peace Socrates, which is, which is just amazing. Well, what he says to Roy is know thyself. So he's telling Roy, like, you need to understand who you are and what position you're in. And like, you need to know yourself first before you know other people. And then he looks up and says, RIP Socrates. It's just wonderful. You know what else in this scene I just thought of? I'm sorry. I don't mean to go off track. Go off track. We've got plenty of time. So it starts with Ted offering Roy some of the open jar of peanut butter. And we know Ted keeps it open. So when he walks by, he can just dip his finger in it, which is like disgusting. But I suppose if it's just a one person jar, fine. Yeah, you can't (laughs) offer someone that jar, though. But when Roy acts like, absolutely not. And he's like, you're allergic to peanut butter? Are you allergic to nuts? He's like, I'm allergic to fingers. But when Ted first mentioned the open jar of peanut butter a few episodes back, wasn't Roy the one who was like, that's a pretty good idea, actually? <laughs> it was. It, it was Roy. Pretty, pretty fucking good idea. Anyway, that was not a one-liner, but I just thought about it. It's Yeah, like you said, it's a good idea, but that, that's not a shareable peanut butter. You need to have guest peanut butter if you want to do that. Like singles, maybe a single serving kind of thing, like a single Jif cup or something if you want that option. It's just weird. It's like the weirdest thing about Ted. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm too uptight in that I would never keep an open jar of peanut butter on my counter or stick a finger in peanut butter, but... I find that to be one of the oddest things about him, I think, that keeps coming up is this open jar of peanut butter with a finger, whatever. There's got to be something to it. And I'm sure like one of our or many of our listeners are they're going to DM us with the backstory of like, because y'all are so smart um, with, you know, it's some tradition somewhere in Kansas City and barbecue sauce or something but yeah our listeners have come through like crazy and also just if we we get to the on the pitch talking the sports action of this one um I had put out kind of a call last time or at least I said if someone would let me know when Premier League started like when everything goes around and and you know, the, the beginning of things so we can pick a team and go that I would try to get into it, or at least, you know, that that would be my starting point. Yeah. And so, uh, listener Joseph Drew is on, on Twitter. I'm probably mispronouncing that because that's my thing. Um, he let me know that premier league starts on August 13th this year. So that's great. And, uh, I put out a call to, um, some of your former colleagues, Alex Kirshner and Richard Johnson at split zone duo. Yes. And I asked what team would a Virginia tech fan, which is being an old miss fan, which is you, who would they root for in premier league? And I have been told that I need to root for Tottenham 
because uh, apparently, because I had said, you know, I just need a team that hasn't won shit in a decade and where things are going really south. Apparently Tottenham are my guys, so let's do that. And uh, per Richard, you are needing to root for Leeds. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. <laughs> That's fine, whatever. Which uh, Richard said it's because uh, scoring a relatively absurd amount while also conceding way too much and punching above their weight. Leeds, says um, yeah. hello. That sums up that sums up my favorite football team, yeah. Yeah, it does. So thank you. <laughs> so let's go let's go, my guys at Tottenham, really pulling for you. Uh, I can't wait to find out where Tottenham is, what it is. <laughs> looking You're forward to get. looking forward to learning a couple of the guys' names on the team, um, getting up at the ass crack of dawn to watch Premier League on a Saturday or Sunday, whenever that comes on. Let's go. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I'll do it. I'll, um, I'll try it. <laughs> we do get a practice scene in this one, uh, but it's it's less about what's going on in the field and more about. Well, it actually it is a little bit about what's going on in the field. Uh, we're watching, you know, Beard and Nate are watching Roy make their point for them. It it really stinks to watch someone do poorly. I mean, we're you know we're going through it with Roy in this one. It it kind of sucks to watch him fail at all these agility drills that a young Roy probably would have aced. Yeah, it's just part of everything else we talked about like they really wanted us to feel the weight of his inevitable demise um yeah it's a good scene though it is watching watching beard and nate distance even nate you know you know when nate is is distancing himself from from ted and really taking that stand because again ted is Ted has invested so much in Nate and helped Nate so much with his confidence that Nate would never disrespect Ted unless it was absolutely necessary, which we see later because Nate is distraught over disrespecting Ted whatsoever. Yeah, but we know from the first episode that Nate is a team guy above all else, and we see that based on when he tries to get them get uh, Ted and Beard off the pitch on their first day when they arrive. And then they, he realizes, oh, you're the coach. Oh, my gosh. And suddenly he's very respectful. But he still says, he's like, okay, but you got to get off the grass. <laughs> like, you got to go. It's, it's clear where his loyalty lies. And just seeing these little moments of Nate throughout the season where he's spoken up in times where he might not have, you can, to me anyway, like, I think – it's always him thinking, okay, this is mortifying and I don't want to, I don't want anybody to be mad at me, but ultimately I want this team to thrive. So I'm going to say what I think needs to be said. It's great. We love The season has been about character growth. A lot of characters have evolved in a lot of good ways. Nate probably more than anyone, just with the confidence of episode one to now episode nine. I know it's, it's nice seeing Nate come out of his 41 year old shell. I was about to say our little (laughs) sweet 41 year old Nate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not hating by the way it's just shocking to me still nick, nick muhammad skincare god i know uh, i want to know his skincare routine i know he's doing he, he's doing wonderful things um what what worked in this one that we haven't talked about yet i actually have a few things i mean what didn't work is the better question i suppose and i can't i don't even know if i can answer that tonight um i think rebecca coming clean the way she did it it wasn't it wasn't this like overdone speech or anything, the way she kind of lays it out there. And even Ted's reaction to it, again, we don't have this big swell of emotion where they're both like, oh, you know, just crying all over each other. It was just, it seemed very realistic to me. I think we've all been in those situations where somebody we care about for whatever reason, whether it's romantic or friendship or somebody close you work with, where you've had to either own up to what you've done or where they own up to something they've done to you. And you don't want to lose them. You know, it's not as simple as, okay, well, I'm never going to talk to you again. But it's such an uncomfortable thing. There's nothing worse than that. Um, Because you know that it's very possible the relationship changes forever. And usually it's not for the better. Um, But in this case, it was. And I think it was just really well done without being too much, you know. Mm-hmm. It was it was almost subtle in a way, um, mm-hmm. really really effective way to go about it. And it's you saw that it could have been the thing where she calls him into the office and she does this big prepared speech, but instead it was this impulse thing after being crushed by Rupert, and it, it much much more effective. Um, there's there's something that's very authentic in this one, very realistic. Um, sometimes when when a man is you know doesn't have to go out in public for a while. He tries something new. That was me when quarantine started. That was Higgins after he quit his job. Yes. We both made facial hair choices that, that 
not it didn't work out for either of us. I felt Higgins so much that when he shows up with the bad facial hair, let me tell you, around like April 20th of last year, I had a mustache that would have gotten me booted from an elementary school. <laughs> so I felt I felt Higgins really going for it. Probably the first time in his life he had the chance to not be clean shaven, and I really respect it. We didn't even talk about that scene. I totally forgot. Yeah, I, I love that when he shows up and he's like playing the bass. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so cute it's just such a cute thing and higgins is like i'm embracing my new self yeah it it does remind me of quarantine i mean i, I didn't i'm trying to think of what my quarantine thing was other than no mustache just, no mustache for me unfortunately i'm trying to think of if i, I mean did same really <laughs> if i did anything unusual i mean most of it was just out of we couldn't go anywhere to get our hair done or our nails done or anything so yeah i've just like had my hair up in a bun every day to the point that, like, I had ponytail holders everywhere in the house, and it just, I just got used to like having my hair on top of my head. But that's not as dramatic as a soul patch. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I figured, you know, no one was going to see me for a while. The job I was working at at the time, we didn't use Zoom or need any of those things anyway. So I, I really had a chance to, to finally see if um, if my baby face self could make something happen, and uh, let's try again in ten years. That's all I'm gonna say. We'll see. Um, we'll see if things if, see if things change in my forties. But what's interesting about that scene too is just I love the fact that we know Higgins has been uh, fired, and we don't see him rushing around to look for another job. <laughs> He's just taken up this new hobby and this new identity. Another thing about quarantine, you know, like when and I've talked about this, I'm pretty sure on here before, uh, shortly after lockdown, um, I was furloughed from SB Nation. All of us were. And so we had to wait. You either took a buyout or you had to wait three months to find out if you still had your job. I was the idiot who didn't take the buyout. And I was like, I was holding on to hope thinking if I could just hold out until August, fine. So I have these three months where I really have nothing to do. And I was doing some freelance stuff, you know, I was getting, I was keeping the bills paid, but I had all of this time on my hands. And so I was like, what can I, you know, I've just got all this creativity that I want to get out. What am I going to do with it? And of course, this was around the same time that I got Animal Crossing. And so I feel like I spent all last summer just depressed and quarantined, building the most elaborate Animal Crossing island you've ever seen. I mean, we all had to, you know, we all had to find things. Higgins is probably about a week away from getting some sourdough starter and going for it. Yeah. Get the, make the bread, do the hobbies. Yeah. And I mean, and speaking of which, uh, we, we also didn't touch on the great scene when, when Ted, you know, when Higgins comes back and Ted gives her, Ted gives him Trent Crim's daughter's biscuits. I know. It's so cute. I just love the whole thing with the biscuits is. Truest thing he said all season though, is that, uh, she's three, she'll get over it. Yeah. And that's true. It seems sad if you're, you know, if you're thinking about a crying three-year-old, but at the end of the day, kids are resilient. They're going to be fine. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There's, um, there's two things in this episode that I need a backstory on. Again, I would love another, you know, if we just get a flashback centric episode in, in season two, I would, along with their time at Wichita State, um, I need to know how the initial Ted asking Keeley about the Tom Ford campaign. I need to know how that conversation went, how Ted brought that up. <laughs> I love that. Because you don't know where it's going when she starts saying it. And it's like, no, they're going to stick with the models um, and not go with you. I love that. It's a really, it's a simple, like, quick interaction between them. But, yeah. Ted Ted can rock a suit is the thing. So oh, I mean, Sudeikis is really handsome. Very attractive. <laughs> very attractive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean Wink. it's not it's not out of qu- it's not it's not out of the question for Jason Sudeikis to be helming a Tom Ford campaign, but Ted Ted is very dad. He's more dad than Jason Sudeikis is. Sure, and it's the mustache more than anything. If he didn't have that mustache, it would I you'd have a much different character on your hands. You is would. all I can say. That instantly just kind of endears him to all of us, you know. Yeah. There's another backstory thing that I can't believe it's taken us over 50 minutes to discuss. Uh, I need to know about Beard being paid to bite someone in the ass. I forgot about that, too. We always miss so many important details. Coach Beard has, he's had some wild, very discreet times. 
I know. And it, the the funny thing is, is how fine and open he is about talking about it. If he's asked, you know, <laughs> like he won't, he's not forthcoming with the information, but he's just like very casually. Uh, yeah, he's, he has a lot of sex, Coach Beard. Congrats. <laughs> you get to go out for a night on the town with one person in the show, just like a, just like a night out to the bars or whatever this person chooses to do, like however they usually spend their nights. So how would who are you picking from this show rebecca okay that's fair yeah that's fair we would yeah we'd connect on a lot of levels but i but keely too i wish can i take both of them <laughs> i think the th- they seem to be a pair <laughs> the three of us would have a lot of fun that's all i'm saying see beard would be it'd be just interesting to see how the man works but it also might you might you might end up in kind of a weird situation because I, I think i think beard is very comfortable with himself and how he goes about his business and i think that's maybe a comfort that a lot of people wouldn't have in certain situations so you you might you might end up somewhere you don't want to end up i feel like going out with a 27 year old roy would be a riot but you also might end up with a broken nose in just some form or fashion sure you'd pr- you'd definitely get in a fight if you went out with Roy, even like 30 something year old Roy, if you spend a night out with him, somebody's getting punched and it might be you. Yeah. You got to think if it's not you, though, you guys are winning the fight. Yes. So as long as you are not the one fighting Roy, you're doing well. Sure. Um, this episode also did one thing really, I mean, and not shocking. Uh, Ted understands the importance of representation. He has a conversation with Rebecca about the magazine that she's taking the pictures for and she's really downplaying it. And Ted, with this this great little you know this great little quote about how important it might be for some little girl to see Rebecca on that on that magazine, and and you know how that's a, a really good thing that she's doing, and doesn't doesn't let her downplay this cover that she's shooting, which I thought was a is a really nice touch. Yeah, and it it's similar to the Nate line about the shoes, where it's refreshing to see the guy make the point, <laughs> which I kind of, I could make a lot of jokes about that, but it's refreshing to see, let me rephrase that. It's refreshing to see a guy who doesn't have to be told what the point is when it comes yeah. to feminism, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So do you have anything that didn't work in this one? I will, I have absolutely nothing. I, no, I don't, except for the peanut butter thing. And that's not really something that doesn't work. I just think it's funny that Roy was all about it until he was faced with it. And then he's like, actually, this is kind of gross. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of, it is kind of odd to see Ted with such a disregard for, um, like, uh, cleanliness. <sighs> Every time I think about the peanut butter jar, I get sick. We need, a, we need an episode just about the peanut butter Need to really break down, like, what is Ted, <laughs> what is Ted possibly thinking? You know, he probably... So you would assume he does it at home. It's probably one of the things that Michelle Lasso wasn't crazy about. Like she's having friends over and it's like, Ted, put your goddamn peanut butter jar away. We can't have the jar of peanut butter out when company is around. So that, that it might've been something I would bet that habit. <laughs> I, I would bet that habit started when he was very small, uh, probably driving Bama Lasso crazy, you know, Ted, get your finger out of the peanut butter jar. So probably a lot to unpack with that psychologically. Yeah. Um, um what is, you know, to, to go from Ted's worst moment, which is offering a person a peanut butter that he has licked his finger and then stuck it in the peanut butter. And to get away from that, what is Ted's best moment in this one? Um, we, you know, we've got the pop culture reference, the cuckoo's nest one. Uh, it's admirable that he's trying to stick with Roy, even though it's misguided. And I like that he gives, you know, he, he has that conversation with him, kind of comes clean in the apartment, gives him the option to say that he's, um, you know, he's injured. And then there's also the moment of him, you know, forgiving Rebecca, not excusing the behavior, but but forgiving Rebecca. That's to me, I mean, hands down the best moment. And, you know, going back to what I said about how, yes, he's a very nice guy, but he's not a pushover. Um, you know, not to sound cliche, I'm sure this is there's like Pinterest boards dedicated to some sort of quote about this. It takes a lot more strength to forgive somebody than it does to be resentful toward them, to be able to say, you know, I'm not going to forget it. It's very painful. It hurt. It's not okay that you did it. But I'm going to let this go for myself because, you know, what's that saying about um, when when you don't forgive somebody, you're just poisoning yourself. You're not doing anything to the other person. You're just, you know, kind of making your own life that much harder. And Boy, so, does that run deep. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so to me, like, that's what makes that moment work so well is it's not him – be like, okay, I forgive. It's not that kind of moment. He's stepping up and 
doing the hard thing, doing the thing that a lot of people would not do in that moment when they find out that they have been deceived for the past few months. So I think, you know, it's classic Ted, but also I don't think his reaction would have been the same had he not gone through a divorce himself. It is. He does have the relatable quality and it's something that it also wasn't a surprise to him. He's seen Rebecca struggle the whole season, just like he struggled the whole season, just like she was there for him, you know, when he had uh, his panic attack. So um, I, I really like how you put it earlier, though, in that it wasn't him excusing the behavior. I think that's I think that's really important because on first on rewatch, I was like, man, was he like too quick on that? Like, is it almost unrealistic that he was just straight up like, you know, it's fine. But he didn't say it's fine. He said, I forgive you. Completely, yeah. completely different. It's a, it's a great moment. And of course, of course, Ted Lasso. Very good when uh, when he's been wronged. Who is your Lenny Harris in this episode? Roy. It's Roy. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely Roy. It's a great... Hannah Waddingham has a great episode and a, specifically a great like two to three minutes. But it is a it is the Brett Goldstein show in this one. Yeah. I just... Yeah, I can't get over... I just love Roy. <laughs> I say that so often, but I just think he's such a great character. He's got a lot of layers, you know? And it's amazing that originally Brett Goldstein wasn't going to be in the show. That right? He was just going to be a writer. And he's so, so, so good as Roy. I can't imagine anybody else playing Roy. No. No way. No <laughs> way. Um, this one has a legitimate, awesome, big, chill moment. And it really has two. They're kind of back-to-back when Roy says second team is going to kick the first team's fucking asses today. Like, the team is there. Team is, we've gotten to the point Ted arrived with a mission. He has gotten the team to where they need to be. And it's, you know, not to spoil the next episode, but it's like we're, you know, if you gave Ted a couple more games, we're there, baby. Like, he, yeah. he has them rocking. And then I have this in all caps. Roy taps the believe sign. Yeah. Astounding. That believe sign it's just, you know, one of the things that makes the show so great, I think. I need my own in my house whenever I have bad days. Oh, I I think <laughs> I have like a, yeah, I should put it right above my office doors. <laughs> right? I just want it on a, like a, I want a sticky version of it, like a post-it note version. I can just put it on my laptop. Notre Dame needs to replace the play like a champion today sign with the belief sign. <laughs> belief sign. I think that's pretty smart, actually. Do it, you cowards. <laughs> Yeah, Notre Dame, we're coming for you. <laughs> this podcast took a turn. <laughs> All, so here's the big question. Do we have more British listeners, which we know of too, or do we have more Notre Dame fan listeners? I don't know. Does Mike Golick Jr. listen to this podcast? Uh, if, he, if he does, shout out to him for getting the dream gig and calling the hot dog contest on July 4th. And yeah. Incredible moment. I was very happy for him. Someone I do not know, I was very, very happy for. We're... Twitter friends in that, you know, I've never met him in real life, but we have a lot of mutuals. So Mike, if you're listening, thank you. And if you're not, we will tag you in this next week. And then you'll feel bad about not listening. <laughs> we will. He'll have to listen for the entire hour to wait until we get to talk <laughs> we about won't tell him. him and his Notre Dame fighting Irish. Yep. Alex, one to five biscuits. Mm, 16. 16 is a good one. 16 mm-hmm. is a very good answer. Uh, I would actually say, we said 16 last time. I would say it's 14 biscuits. This episode is really good. I think the Diamond Dogs might kick it up just just like, maybe like maybe this one is actually 15 biscuits. So just one biscuit more. Mm, fine. But as always, it's multiple packs of biscuits. <laughs> I know. I mean, you could say a billion and I'm like, sure. Yeah. It it works out, but Alex, we have made it nine episodes. Look at us, Ted, Ted Lasso. Look at look at where we started. Look at where we are. I know we've really come a long way. We've been on our own journey, Kyle. We have. We've been <laughs> rewatching the show for the umpteenth time, uh, at least for you. Yes. Uh, and we've got we've got one more. I am really looking forward to the finale, folks. We have a we have a very special guest joining for the finale. I think very a, special, very special, the most special guest joining for the finale. I'm very excited. Alex, tell the folks where they can follow you, where they can check out your your new job, your work, and your other podcast. Sure. Um, I just started with For the Win uh, with USA Today and work with a great team of writers and content creators, even though I hate that word. Um, we're doing lots of fun stuff, so please check us out at For the Win. Um, and I have this other podcast, blah, 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 RPG. Follow us at Ain't Slayed. 
Everyone go do that, especially go check out For the Win. And if you're a baseball fan, go check out From Phenom to the Farm, my other podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports Ted Lasso and you haven't listened to any of the others, go back, listen. They're all, you know, all these Ted Lasso episodes are evergreen. All our old episodes and sports movies are evergreen. If you're enjoying it, subscribe, rate, leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. Tune in next week, next Monday. We are talking the finale of Ted Lasso. Should be a good one for me and Alex. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.